it's uh it's pretty good so all right you want to start us off with a word of prayer yeah father god thank you so much for your love for us which we do not deserve your love uh covenant your covenantal love poured out on us at the cross thank you that while we were yet sinners you died for us you demonstrated the richness of your love when we were at our most wicked time lord you are amazing but most of all father we thank you for your truth your truth which has changed us which has drawn us unto you which is sustaining us which is growing us which reveals yourself to us help us to speak about the truth most of all help us to live the truth that our lives would not be a contradiction but our lives would be a compliment to you, Father, for who you are, for what you've said, and for what you have done in and through Christ. May we honor him, may we bless him to the glory of your name. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. With me today is the pastor of, well, you can call it Bellcroft Bible Church, but this week we're going to call it the Marination Station because <laughs> we have been marinating in prayer. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I'm all about marination, brother. The Marination Station. This is the ministry of marination. Oh, man. T-bones and taters, marination. That's, that's how you describe us. Marination to maturation. There you go. <laughs> Marinate to maturate. <laughs> that. Oh, that should, yeah, that should be on the shirt somewhere. Watch out. Yeah, that should be on the shirt somewhere. Had a conversation with someone about some shirts. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that because that person definitely does not want to be named. But uh, I'll introduce you to that person one day. Uh, Ironically, they're a member at our church, and you will hate the idea, but I love it, and I think it's a fabulous idea that should be pursued. So I'm going to leave it right there, and I'm going to let everybody. I'm, I'm afraid to ask. Yeah, you you shouldn't ask. You, yeah, it's, it's I'm not, not going to ask. Yeah. I've learned. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it is, I, I will honestly say that this person is full of amazing ideas, <laughs> and um, maybe not the ideas that everybody wants to uh, see or know about, but um, because it's like there's a lot of work to, to, to be done on these ideas, but they're great ideas. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll, one day I'll introduce you. Yeah, to the to the ideas. I look forward to that. Yeah. So um, today, um, it should not be a surprise what we're going to uh, talk about, um, yes. just because of the fact that there are so many things that have now been uncovered um, to talk more about. Um, the first, the very first thing is uh, I want to make sure that we get um, a definition down of yeah. prayer. So yep. I'm yep. going to read one. Good. Um, and then uh, we're going to go over the one that we have yep. been going over every single week. Good. And uh, if you pay attention to the intro and you're not asleep in the intro and wake <laughs> up in the beginning of the sermons You'll that Pastor Matt has been preaching uh, for the last, uh, is this 16 or eight weeks? Uh, yeah, uh, I think we're weeks? going into sermon eight or nine something like that so two months okay yeah all right because yeah january to february yeah yep um if you pay attention through all of those sermons from uh the first of january or the first part of january uh he gives this very vivid definition of prayer uh but i'm going to read uh yet another one um by a man 
who a lot of you may know by some of his other works. Uh, one of them would be uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, John Bunyan has a book on prayer, and it says prayer, but I 100% guarantee, as a matter of fact, it probably tells us in here that it is a very long uh, <laughs> uh, title to the to the book because that's how the Puritans were. They just had extremely long titles uh, to their actual book. Um, but this is the um, the very first, actually, the very, chapter one, the very first sentence. This is what prayer is uh, is described by him. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. I was like, that is a, that is a beefy sentence right there. That's Puritan. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's John Bunyan. Um, I, I, I can only imagine um, what would drive him to, to actually write a book like this, but you know, it's, it was, I was like, this is a very good. And then of course he breaks it down and how Puritans usually do. Uh, they have a point, a sub point, a sub sub point and a sub 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 point. And then they go back to their sub point <laughs> and then they go to their next point. So, um, it is amazing how, uh, you, you know, he's, as I started to read the book, he, he breaks it down. But, uh, one, I want to give you a chance to comment on that, but then also, um, our, uh, one that we have been getting every single week uh, in the sermon. So, yeah, I can say uh, it's the first time I've heard that. Um, I'm a big fan of Bunyan. Um, that's the first time I've heard that definition by him. But I can tell you, it's excellent. Mm-hmm. It's excellent. Yeah. Biblically sound, uh, theologically rich, and uh, actually clear. Even though it was obviously verbose, as all as all Puritans always are, and mm-hmm. and uh, and at times need to be because we're dealing with theological realities that demand verbiage to explain with clarity and not ambiguity. So, um, yeah, I agree with it. I, I love the way he talked about that. It's the pouring out of the heart towards God. That's exactly what it is. Notice he didn't say anything about listening mm. uh, for God. It's our response to God. Mm. That's what he's showing. That's what he's des- describing. That's what prayer is. But notice how he also uh, spoke very clearly that it is this reality of seeking the help of heaven, mm-hmm. right? Which is exactly what Hebrews four uh, sixteen declares emphatically. And and so uh, I love because this, in any sound definition of prayer, this has to come through. And because prayer, at the end of the day, no matter which which side of the horse of prayer you're on you're going to be driven by a dependence in God, right? That's what prayer is. It's, it's a display of your dependence in God. So the more dependent you are, the more, the more you cry out to him in heartfelt, uh, utter uh, desperation, mm-hmm. begging God. I use that term a lot this past Sunday and how God loves beggars, mm-hmm. and prayer is nothing more than the verbiage of the beggar. That's what it is. And so he brings that out in that definition, which mm-hmm. is obviously excellent and what what prayer really is. So I like yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, one of the words, don't miss it. Don't miss it. He said sincere <laughs> and sensible. Yes. I was like, that is because see the sensible part. A lot of people miss because, yeah. you know, uh, I know from my charismatic upbringing, one of the things they're like, 
you know, talking about like your prayers need to be dynamic. They need to be, you know, more than what you can ask for or think because yeah. God will bless you with it if you pray those prayers. Yeah. And it's like just pray a sensible prayer. And yeah. going back to what you're talking about, you know, the um, the uh, the Lord's prayers, like give us as they are daily bread. Yeah. You know, go ahead. I'm did sorry. You, did you see in the definition too? he drove this point, which I've been driving through the whole series at different times especially in the beginning and and it was it was quite eye-opening to a lot mm-hmm. of people and he said it which again I, it's not new to me it's not new to him it's scripture but it's interesting when you speak the same thing and you know so long ago mm-hmm. you notice he was he was talking about praying the promises of god yeah did you see that come yeah. right out mm-hmm. you remember when i said that early on and people's eyeballs are getting really big and like what what are you talking about that's what prayer is. We mm-hmm. pray in light of the promises that God has given because that gives us the confidence, the courage, and the clarity to know what to pray. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you know you're praying in the will of God when you're praying in accordance with the promise of God, and now you're in line with the purpose of God. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what Bunyan was saying, and that's yeah. why we go to God according to what he has promised us, mm-hmm. which is exactly what David does in Psalm 51 from this week. Mm-hmm. He pours his, how, his heart out to the Lord, not not based upon David's character, but based upon God's covenantal love that he had already promised to David early on. So that's what Bunyan is saying. That's what prayer always is, uh, or should I say God-honoring prayer, Mm -hmm. is always driven by or delighting in the promises of God. So at the end of the day, you've got many facets of prayer. There's many aspects to prayer, everything from supplication to thanksgiving and everything in between. There's all these different facets and aspects of prayer that you could get into the minutia and talk about. But at the end of the day, you can boil them all down to two things. There's either petition or there's praise. Mm. And obviously within every prayer, there's usually both. But usually a prayer is either driven by a petition, a request, or it's driven by thanksgiving, mm. praise. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you have. And then there's subsets of that. And that's where we get all those different aspects of prayer. And and yet, no matter if it's a praise or if it's a petition, it's always driven by the promise. Yeah. Always driven by the promise or the provision, which is nothing more than the promise coming true. And so that's what prayer really is, and that's what drives us to pray, is based upon what God said he would do and what God said we need him to do. And so mm-hmm. we go to him based on that. And I love that in that definition, because that's not an understanding uh, rightfully known or even broadly understood in the evangelical church. That's even why when I preached it here, so many people were just like, I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And yet that's exactly what First John chapter uh, 5.14 is saying when it says, if we, we can have confidence that when we bring our prayers to God, he hears us and he will answer us if we pray according to his will. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. If we pray according to the promises of God, we know he will answer in his right time. Yeah. One of the things that uh, is striking me is not necessarily, not just, I would say, not just uh, the things that you pray for, obviously, you know, praying in God's will according to his promises. Um, but one thing that is striking me is the the idea and the concept of corporate prayer. Oh, yeah. Because that is one thing that, you know, obviously – you know, back to my upbringing, upbringing, it was, you know, you have a prayer closet, you know, you, yeah. you, you find your prayer closet, you go in your prayer closet and you just pray. Um, but I want to kind of, I want you to kind of help me understand something that I want to make sure I'm getting right. Yeah. Because one of the things that 
we um as believers um obviously we and and this has to do with your last sermon uh from the is it 27th i think uh, so. the sunday yeah just so you all have a reference point of which sermon i'm talking about the 27th of february uh 2022 your the way that you were talking about that penitent prayer it was um and then at the very end you went through a couple of things you know i you know to see uh, the, the the sin, own it, hate it, confess it, forsake it, replace it. And one of the things that you said in the middle of that was instead of, um, well, a little before that, you, you mentioned the fact that uh, as a pastor, you don't see a lot of sincere confession. Yeah. Exactly. And what is bothering me about that is not that it's, I, I think that it's wrong, but it was kind of, you know, kind of like that, that, that pearl, that, that piece of sand inside of the oyster that yep. is, that's going to produce something good. Yep. But what is bothering me is as a believer, um, or I will kind of call myself a non-believer, non-believer for those years, there is this tendency to always blame Satan and cast out Satan and cast out his demons. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I cast you out. I remember just those types of prayers yep. and the ownership obviously is not on us. Yep. This is bothering me. This is, is, is really bothering me because one, obviously I want to blame somebody else exactly. on my sin exactly. and my temptation. Um, but when it comes down to those types of prayers, you know, the penitent prayers that we are owning, the sin that we do, um, where can we blame Satan for any of this? Where can we say, well, yeah. I was tempted, so that's why I did it? Yeah. Um, let me just be really clear with the answer. Nowhere. <laughs> okay. I mean, the the answer is clear, concise. See, I can do that. <laughs> Well, that's, that's a, do I need to say any? Do but, I need to say anything? But else? you're about to though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the the Bible is clear, right? Mm-hmm. All sin that is committed by us is ultimately because of us. Mm-hmm. That's it. There is no blame. There is no shifting. There is no uh, there is no casting of 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 blame or complaining or grumbling about anyone. Again. When you look at the penitent prayer, the repentant prayer, the greatest repentant prayer given to us in the Bible is Psalm 51. It's the clearest. It's the longest. It's the, it's the greatest. And you see David very clearly, right? He takes ownership for his sin. That's one of the marks of true repentance mm-hmm. is you got to own it. you got to own it completely, fully, personally. There's no blaming. There, notice he doesn't talk about Bathsheba being on the roof with no clothes on. He doesn't talk about you know, whatever was going on in his life at any other time. He doesn't talk about anybody Mm -hmm. because none of that matters. The only reason we sin, and James chapter 1 makes this explicitly clear, it's not because of Satan, it's not because of the world, it's not because of anyone. It's because of this reality. This is why the greatest enemy to us is not Satan. He's an enemy, but he's not the greatest. It's not the world. The world's an enemy. It's not the greatest. The greatest enemy we face in our battle with sin is our own wicked, sinful hearts. And that's why James chapter one says, right? Temptation is a problem of our heart. It's not a problem of Satan. It's not a problem of the world because Satan throws these things at us and the world throws these things at us, but they wouldn't bother us if it wasn't for the desire in our hearts. Mm -hmm. We have desire for these things. We have lust for these things in our heart, which is already sin, Mm -hmm. right? And all all that mud and filth that Satan might throw or the world might throw, all it does, it's like gas, right? Gas will never do anything by way of flame unless there's a flame. It'll never catch fire. It's got to have a spark. 
It's got to have a flame, right? Mm -hmm. So all Satan does and all the world does is just throw gas on us. And it explodes almost every time. Why? Because there's a flame in our heart for sin. It's sitting there flickering all the time. It's like the pilot light on the gas furnace. It never goes out. Mm -hmm. And that's that lust in our heart that James 1 talks about. And that thing is there in our hearts flickering all the time. Mark 7 is what Jesus said. All of the sin we commit comes out of Satan. That's not what Jesus said. Comes out of the world. That's not what he said. Comes out of our heart. And that flame is flickering. And then when that temptation comes along, it's like gas mm-hmm. and it's thrown on our heart. If that flame isn't there, you can throw gas all day long. It's not, it's not going to explode mm-hmm. on me, but it, it needs, it needs an, an igniter. And that igniter is my heart. And that's why we can't blame anyone like David did, mm-hmm. or uh, excuse me, like uh, Adam did like Eve did, right? Mm-hmm. Like Cain did. Mm-hmm. Cain blames God. Mm-hmm. I mean, he actually blames God. It's, it's unbelievable. This is what we do. We blame everyone but ourselves. That's why true confession, true repentance is always blameless in that it comes forward and it's honest, it's transparent, it's totally naked and laid bare before the Lord. There's nothing else. I bring no blame. I bring no, no uh, complaint. I bring no grumbling. I just bring my sin. And I lay it before the Lord and say, I take full ownership for it. I've only done this because of me. I have no one else to blame. That's what David does in Psalm 51. And that's what uh, 1 John 1, 9 means when it says, confess your sins to the Lord, right? When it says, if we will confess our sins. It doesn't say complain about our sins. Mm. It says confess our sins. And, that's, and that word homologeo in the, in the Greek in 1 John 1, 9 literally means to say the same thing about your sin that God does. One thing we know in heaven, God looks down upon our sin, and he doesn't blame anybody else for it except for us. Mm. And so when I go to God in my confession, all blames, all ifs, all ands, all buts are gone Mm. if I'm going to genuinely repent. Mm -hmm. And that is why genuine repentance is so rare, because if we're honest, we go and we repent to God, and most of us follow in the footsteps of Job. When Job said what? Lord, if you only let me plead my case... If you only, if you only, God, if you only see what's going on, you'll understand that I'm really, I'm really not that bad. And it's like, are you kidding me? Mm. There's no, we don't challenge God. We confess to God. Mm. And that's what Job did. And that was part of his sin. That was part of his problem. Well, that's what we do all the time. We're always challenging God. We're always making excuses. Mm. Here you go. To put it in the CRT vernacular, we're always the victim. Yeah. Even in our sin, mm-hmm. we are never the victim. Mm-hmm. We are always the criminal. That's that's literally what transgression means. Mm-hmm. We're the rebel, right? We're the, we're iniquitous. We are in every way sinful, and uh, but because we've lived so long in a culture that permeates with victimhood, we now take that in our confession. Well, we've just ended biblical confession if you bring any victimhood to it. Mm -hmm. So why is that so hard? Why is it so hard to not be a victim? Well, I would say it's so hard to not be a victim and to honestly confess your sin because we don't want to break. We're too prideful. Mm -hmm. We're too Mm self-sufficient. We're too independent, right? To truly confess and repent before the Lord is to die to yourself. And we don't want to die. Mm-hmm. We want to hold that piece of us that says, yeah, but look, Lord, I'm really not that bad. Where true confession says, no, I'm that bad 
times 10. Mm. And obviously nobody in, in our natural state, in our fallen, depraved state, nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to humble themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why you'll see in Psalm 51 at the end, it's the humble and broken heart that the Lord will not despise. Mm-hmm. But it's that prideful and we do this, we, we are so subtle and sneaky in our pride. We'll confess, you know, 90% of the sin, but we'll hold back that little nugget that says, yeah, Lord, but man, if that wouldn't have happened, Lord, I, I wouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. And we know it in our hearts. We, we, we see it. We're, mm-hmm. we're holding on to it. And it's like, man, if I just would have had that, I wouldn't have happened. No, it would have happened. Yeah. It would have happened. Yeah, it's, see, it's like that one part. It's like, well, you know, all this stuff I can... I can honestly say that I did that wrong. Yep. But that one other part right there, that was that wasn't on me. That was on somebody else. Yeah. And and the unwillingness to uh, that's why I love the phrase. I've used it for years. You got to own it. You got to completely own it. It's all yours. Mm-hmm. And that it, I'm telling you is so rare. Mm-hmm. It is so rare. Mm-hmm. But when it's there, that's what we see in Psalm 51. It's glorious. It's beautiful. And you know what's good about it? It ends discussion. Mm. When somebody comes and they're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. Please forgive me. But now the discussion continues, mm-hmm. right? Now we're, we're still talking about it. You're, you're bringing me a complaint and a, and a reason you really don't have. And now I'm sitting here thinking, well, I guess you really didn't repent, yeah. right? You know, and the discussion still going. Versus I was utterly wrong. I was absolutely wrong. I, I was selfish prideful, wicked in doing that. I should have never done that. There's nobody to blame but myself. Will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. Yes, I forgive you. Done. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. This is done. Yep. You got to own it. And and this is what I'm going to say to that. You can't say amen. You ought to say ouch. <laughs> yeah, because uh, that's hurtful. <laughs> you know, that's that hurts. And it does and, hurt. And you know what? You know what? And, you, but do you know why it hurts? Why? Because it's the death of the old man. Mm. That's why it hurts. That's what hurts. Mm. It's the old man in there that doesn't want to die, and you're killing him. That's how you kill sin. Mm-hmm. When you own it and you expose it, Ephesians 5, when you expose that old man to the light, he hates it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to come out of the darkness, right? And so that's what you feel. That's what you sense. And that's what you're doing when you don't expose it. You're mm-hmm. feeding him. Yeah. You're helping him. You're hiding him. Mm-hmm. No, but when we truly repent, man, he is dying. Mm-hmm. And that's why it hurts, because that's who we are on the inside, yeah. if we're honest. we That's that old man. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you just kind of brought up, and um, I don't know where I got it from. I don't know who I learned it from, but uh, it talked about, uh, is that an orange vanilla seltzer? Oh, man, it's good. Oh, man. You, I'm sorry. You're holding back on I'm sorry, man. I already have uh, Sherbert I, I, seltzer over it, here. It, it is. It's, it's my new favorite. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry, rabbit trail. Let's get back to what I was saying. I don't know. I don't hard remember. to find. Yeah. I don't remember where uh, I picked this up, but uh, I was learning. It was, I think it was, you know, some type of marriage thing. And, you know, when you are apologizing, you know, whenever you say, I'm sorry, but the I'm sorry part doesn't matter. Nope. You know, what hap- what matters is what comes after that. But but then the other side to it, as I'm uh, learning different, um, like right now we're going through this other book, this secular book called Extreme Ownership. And it's like, no matter who on your team does something, you're the one that's ultimately responsible. Mm-hmm. And if you go to blame other people, then you've completely lost. Like you are then uh, playing yourself as a victim. And I'm like, even the world gets it. 
<laughs> yep. even the world understands the concept of, hey, you know, you have to own it, yeah. own every single part of it. There are no other investors yep. in your sin. It's like it's you are the sole owner. So here's here's a really good way to think about it. And this will this will this will clarify so much about the old man and, and, and who we are. If you don't own it, you you cease to be authentic. Mm. Right. And so mm-hmm. now now you're pretending to be something that you're really not. Mm-hmm. That's all that is. Mm-hmm. Versus when you come forward in transparency mm-hmm. and clarity and you own it, you are authentic because you're demonstrating. No, you're I'm truly broken. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. It was my fault. I shouldn't have done it. That was my sin. And that's that's the heart of the authentic man. Mm. And that's the heart of the godly man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. Uh... That's not fun. That's uh it's it's a it's a painful reality that, you know, a lot of us but a paramount reality to paramount, maturity. Yeah. yeah. To maturity. Definitely. Well, let's get more into this cuz I wrote down a couple of little jewels that, you know, some people might a little might have went past, uh, but I want to bring them up here. Uh <laughs> Well, in the light of what we just said, uh I don't know who said it. I was writing too fast cuz I I actually listened to the sermon again on double time, uh, (laughs) 1.5 speed on YouTube. Um, Ever repentant because we're always saying, I think that was Spurgeon Spurgeon that said that we need to be ever repentant because we are always sinning. Um, The other one was um, the repentant never makes any excuses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you were quoting someone or you just said it, you know, that was, that was you. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, um, and was this you as well? The S in sin always stands for stupid. Yes. That's definitely me because that's West Virginia talk right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The S in sin always stands for stupid. Now. And and you know why? Why is that? Because it makes you think stupid thoughts, say stupid things Mm -hmm. and act in a stupid way. Hmm. Yeah. Sin always does. And, and, and it did David. Look at what he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was stupid what he did. He's mm-hmm. got, he's, that's Nathan's point in the parable. You got this whole hillside of lambs and you're stealing the one guy's little you lamb. Mm-hmm. It's the most stupid thing you could ever do. Right. Right. And then, then you try to hide it, mm-hmm. you know, and then you kill somebody for it. It's just, it's stupid. That's yeah. what sin does. Sorry for using the S word for some of our people that are listening, but yeah. uh, the S word is actually in the Bible. It's uh, Proverbs yes. twelve yes. one. Yes, he who loves wisdom loves knowledge, but he who yeah. hates correction yeah. is stupid. Stupid. Yep. Yeah. No, nope. it's a biblical term, and when it comes to sin, it is a it is a helpful term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but I imagine some people are like, we don't use that word in the house. Well, <laughs> maybe you should to, About the sin, right way. You yeah, should definitely you so. help your kids. I want you to kind of expound on the idea um, or the the concept, not the idea, but the concept that you mentioned a few times in, in, in the sermon that that is the word or the phrase cosmic treason. Yes. I've heard it mentioned a few times, but can you kind of give like a good definition of that? Yeah, it just basically what that what that term I think I don't know who coined that. I just I remember hearing R.C. Sproul talk about that years ago and it really stuck with me and it highlights the. Uh, the the breadth of sin you know the width the the height of it the depth of it the enormity that's a better word the enormity of sin our problem when we view sin is that it's way too small in our eyes Mm. sin is just a i think rc sproul used to call it just a minor picadillo which is just like a minor mistake that's Mm. the way we look at sin right Mm -hmm. and matter of fact it's common now in the modern church where we don't use the S word sin, mm. that's a bad word. Mm-hmm. So now we call it other things like mistakes, 
I heard of a church the other day teaching it, and they called it a mess, and they kept using the word mess, and it's a mess, and we create messes, and, and it's like we don't use the word sin. Well, the reason with that and the, and the, the thought behind that is every time we do that, we lower sin yeah. to our level. Mm-hmm. And the idea of cosmic treason, what it does is it, it raises sin to the cosmic level. Cosmic, just speaking of the universal outside of this world level. And the idea of cosmic treason, treason is, a, is an act of rebellion against, obviously, a, 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 a nation or the ruler of a nation and by, by which you've done a work against a nation. Mm-hmm. Well, the ultimate ruler of all the earth is God. He's our creator. Mm-hmm. He is the sovereign. That means he rules and has authority over all. Mm-hmm. And so when we sin, as I was driving this point hard on Sunday, because again, our, our definition and understanding of sin is so pitiful. Mm-hmm. We only see sin as an act we do. Well, sin is an act we do, mm-hmm. but sin is ultimately, even primarily, an attack, a direct frontal attack against God himself. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of that idea of cosmic treason, it is treason. You are turning your back, you are rejecting, you are rebelling against the one authority, in the ultimate authority in your life, it is God, and therefore it's cosmic because he's the cosmic God of all the earth. Right. It's the worst and greatest act you could ever do is mm-hmm. to sin against God, mm-hmm. and hence why I, I refer to it, as many others have, as cosmic treason. Yeah, that is huge. And and treason always, always brings with it the death penalty, hmm. right? Yeah. In every country, in every reality, if you're ever convicted of treason, you die, even in, even in our country today. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, 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 if you are uh, judged treasonous, you, you will die. You'll, they'll either throw you in jail forever, or a lot of times they put you before the firing squad or, or hang you. Or I mean, it's serious. I mean, it's mm-hmm. one of the most serious crimes you could ever commit. And so, again, when we sin against God, it is the most serious crime we could ever commit, and it brings eternal death. Mm-hmm. So what I'm basically hearing you say is that we look at our sin uh, to be too small. Is that what you're saying? Like we too, look at Too small and too minor. Mm-hmm. Because here's why we look at our sin, because and this is this is our greatest issue. We look at our sin through the lens of ourself. Mm. We look at our we look at our sin through the lens of who we are and what we think and what we want and what we can't and can do. When in all reality, to rightfully understand sin, we have to look at it through the lens of God. Mm. We have to understand what He says about sin. We have to understand what sin is compared to Him. Obviously, he makes that very clear in his word, and he tells us very clearly, it's evil in his sight, and it's an evil attack against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, <clears throat> that's tough. That's it, what David means when yeah. he says, against you and you alone have mm-hmm. I sinned. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and it's... Joseph as well. Uh, uh, no joke, man. Yeah. No joke. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's scary, scary thought, and... Um, yeah, this comes up many times in Scripture, but the word picture, the, the metaphorical picture is probably a better way to say it, of, of someone shaking their fist at God mm-hmm. or even cursing God either by, by what they do with their finger or what they do with their mouth. That is a picture of what we do every time we sin. Mm-hmm. We are cursing God, shaking our fist in His face, 
You could even say spitting in his face mm-hmm. and saying, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't want what you've given me. I don't like what you have given me. I'm going the other way. Mm-hmm. You're not worth it. And we, when we reject him, that's what sin is. Mm-hmm. Whether we like it or not, that's what God says it is because that's what it is because he's the holy creator of all the earth and all that he does is good and he is good. And we reject that. We rebel against that. Not in passivity, but in purposeful activity Mm -hmm. so that we can go our own way. That's why Isaiah 53 says, what, all we like sheep have gone astray. Mm -hmm. Each have gone to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon us the guilt, the iniquity of us all. I mean, that's what we are. And you can see this in Revelation. It's a really good, scary picture of this multiple times. I think it starts in Revelation 13 and comes up uh, multiple times from like uh, 14, 19, in between those passages in the tribulation where the world knows. So the world is, is literally, Christ is heaping upon the world all the judgments, the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments. He's, I mean, he's flinging them through the angels upon the earth. He's bringing his judgment. And the world knows it's from God. There's no doubt. Everyone knows God is doing this through Christ, mm-hmm. right? And um, the angels are flying through the heavens, literally preaching the gospel. Literally, they're flying through the heavens telling everyone, repent and believe right? Repent and believe, and people won't. And it literally says they look up to heaven and they raise their fists and curse God rather than repent. Mm-hmm. That's what they, they would, they, they are hiding under rocks. They're crawling into holes to try to get away from the judgment of God. And the angels are flying through. And rather than just turn and repent, everything we just said with no excuses, lay themselves bare and destitute before the Lord. Instead, they raise their fists and curse God and shake their fist in his face. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But that's our heart. Mm. That's our natural heart. Mm. That's the picture. That's the mental picture and the actual picture of what we should see and understand every single time we sin. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Can't say anything else to that. Um, that's the truth. Man. But. Here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of this. This is why it has to be preached. It has to be declared. It has to be taught. And it's not. Because if you don't understand that, and I dare say 85 to 90% of the church had no understanding of what I just said. If you don't understand that, then you cannot enjoy, revel in, and rejoice in the mercy of God. Mm. That's the reality. You have to understand the wrath of God, which is righteously and justly poured out upon our sin before you can ever really enjoy and run to his mercy. That's why Romans 2, 4 says it is the kindness, the forbearance, the long-suffering nature of God that leads us to repentance. What, What does that mean? That means I see my sin for the evil that it is, the cosmic treason that it is, and the guilt that it brings. And I see I deserve God to squash me right Rightfully, mm. under his holy, righteous judgment. And he doesn't. Yeah. He offers mercy. Yeah. When I see that, man, it makes me go, oh, Lord, I lay myself naked bare before you. I'm a wicked, wretched sinner. Mm-hmm. Father, give me mercy. I'll take the mercy because I deserve the judgment. Yeah. Now, now we see the beauty of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You take the wrath of God, 
because of man's wicked sin away, you have no grace, you have no mercy, you have no gospel. The world doesn't want that. The right. world doesn't want a pity party. Mm-hmm. The world wants pardon. Yeah. And the only way they can get a pardon is by them seeing their wicked sin before God and him offering mercy. So you said something in the the uh, sermon right along that um, I'm loosely paraphrasing here the only thing to do is to curse god or to beg him for mercy that's it and um that was when you were talking about the and and describing and uh uh, defining the word destitute to be stripped bare and laid naked before god uh, Mm -hmm. under your point uh, about the desperate cry yes Um, and you know the the funny thing about it is like i i think that even worse like I look at that and I'm like, man, those people cursing God, like that won't be me. You know, that's not going to be me. And that is even a sense of pride Absolutely. to say that, you know, I'm, I'm prideful. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to curse God. But, uh, you know, it's, it's humbling to even hear something like that because it's like, man, you need to back up. We and, curse him every time we sin. Yeah. That's, that's the, again, the reality of our, of our lack of honesty with mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, I, I was bringing out that point, you really only have two choices. You either repent bare and naked before the Lord, bringing nothing but your sin, or you curse God. Because even if you say, yeah, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to, you know, continue in passivity and continue living my own life, you've, you're cursing God. Mm-hmm. You're spurning his love. You're rejecting him because he's called upon you from from the first day of birth to repent and believe, to worship him, serve him, love him, and you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're cursing him whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. And in your heart, that's what you're doing. You're just doing it in a passive way. But to God, it's all the same. It's mm-hmm. all the same. Yeah. And that's it. There's only two roads. Mm-hmm. One of rejection of God and, and cursing him, or one in open, repentant, humble submission to God in true repentant faith. That's it. That's all you got. That's yeah. that's the only two roads. That's the only two people on the planet. Yeah. Um, as a uh, as a reflection on the world now, um, as you're talking, one of the things that I am kind of hearing and understanding is that most people will not take that responsibility and blame for sin or call out that sin. Example, yep. um, one of the things that I've read some pastors say is that if you don't realize that uh, the president is a uh, is a punishment, um, you know, uh, you know, you were talking about like a bad leader mm-hmm. is a punishment towards, you know, uh, the, the sin that that is here and is present. You know, of course, we want to blame this. Of course, we want to blame that. You know, why is there so much crime? Well, because, you know, these people are victims of their environment. And it's like, man, like it's sin. Like I can see the sin. I understand that it's sin. I understand that it's, you know, the people that are the sinful part of it versus some outside energy that they would say or the universe or something like that. No, it is the sin that's in the heart of man. And, you know, as I see it more and more, of course, my first reaction is to look without, is to yeah. look within, and it's like, no, you need to look within and see your own sin, and then be grateful uh, for the grace that God has given you, Amen. which is the, what when you talk about, the, we didn't even get to your definition of prayer, uh, the grace-derived and gospel-driven yes. communion with God. Yes. Like, we don't look at that. We look always without about what's going on. It's like, no, look within. Yes. 
Yeah. No, that's that's one of the huge uh, uh, mistakes, misnomers, uh, prideful understandings of ourselves and sin is that we actually think we deserve something other than judgment. Mm. And when we truly understand who we are and who God is, we understand this. We only deserve one thing in life, Mm -hmm. one thing, one thing and one thing alone. We only deserve eternal wrath. That's what we deserve. Mm. I mean, that's a foreign concept to most people. That's a concept nobody wants to admit or or think about. But that's the one the Bible makes very clear. Mm -hmm. We have no rights. We we deserve nothing Mm -hmm. from God other than his wrath. So everything we receive other than that is nothing but his grace and his mercy, mm-hmm. no matter at what level it is. Yeah. And when you start to understand that, life starts to look way different. Hmm. Well, okay. Are you, are you okay with us switching gears? Because yes. I know you could talk about this. That's why day. I cut off, and I, don't, I, don't, I know our time is short. Okay. You want me to go to the definition? Grace-derived and gospel-driven? Or no, go ahead. Well, we could. Uh, it was something else um, go for it. that I kind of wanted to, to to talk through. Go for it. But uh, I think we do need to kind of get that, you know, you kind of talk through that definition because I think yeah. that that would be a good uh, place to kind of transition to, and then we can transition right. to the next so, part. So that, that definition is just born out of my study of Scripture on prayer, and that prayer is a gift from God, as mm-hmm. all things are, right? And so often mm-hmm. we don't think of that. We think of prayer as more of an act we do, mm-hmm. which it is, mm-hmm. rather than a gift of God's grace given. So what that definition is highlighting is one of the massive truths about prayer often missed, and that is that prayer is a grace gift from God. It is a means of grace. It is a means it's a conduit. It's a doorway that God himself opens that opens up to us the grace that we need to grow and be sustained by and strengthened by and matured by. So really, prayer begins with God. That's the point of that definition. It doesn't begin with us. Were it not for God, we would have no opportunity to prayer. Were it not for God, we would have no desire to, for prayer. Were it not for God, we wouldn't know what to pray, as we see right there. Right. So prayer is always grace derived. That just means it's a gift of grace. It comes from heaven first. Mm-hmm. God is the one that ripped the veil from top to bottom when Christ, the high priest, right, laid himself out as the ultimate sacrifice. He opened in the Holy of Holies so that we could access then God directly, not through anybody other than him. And so that's the whole point. It's grace derived. Apart from the grace of God, we have no prayer. And, um, and but it's also gospel driven, right? So it's 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 gr- it's given to us by grace, but then we go to Him because of the gospel. It has changed us. The gospel changes our hearts. The gospel changes our thoughts. The gospel changes our desires. It changes our requests. It changes our pursuits. So that when we go to God in grace derived prayer, that is driven by what God has done in the gospel, what God is doing in the gospel, and what God will do in the gospel. Now we're praying in accordance with the will of God. We're praying in accordance, here it is, with our maturation. So it's driven by God's grace. That's the only reason we have the opportunity to prayer. And then I go to prayer. I go to God in prayer because of the gospel changing my heart and now putting a fire within me that says, yeah, I need help. I need help. So even the unbeliever is driven to prayer by what? It's the grace of God that, is, that has opened his eyes, and it's the gospel that's opening his heart, saying, 
call upon me, all who want to be saved, and you will be saved. What is That's the gospel driving it. So it's that way for the unbeliever at the moment of salvation, but it's also that way for the believer all the way through life until his final salvation when he's glorified, because Hebrews 4 says what? We seek the Lord with boldness in the name of Christ that we might find help in our time of need, that we might find mercy, that we might find grace. That's all gift given by God, driven by the gospel for our maturation and for our ministry, our personal growth and godliness and our ministry to others as we bring supplications and intercessions on their behalf that they might grow. And all of that is driven by what? The gospel. That's gospel ministry. Yeah. That's, so that's kind of what that simple, concise definition kind of fleshed out. That's what we're saying. Yeah. The, um, I love the grace derived, you know, part of it, you know, obviously, um, when you start to reflect on what God has, you know, he could just take you out because of your sin, you know, you know, because of the sin that we commit that is there. Um, the transition that I wanted to kind of go to was you speaking to the grace. Yeah. So grace derived gospel driven, and we left off a really important point Mm -hmm. communion with God. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Fellowship. Yeah. Walking with God. It is really sweet when you start to think about the grace that he has given. Yes. You know, because of that. And obviously the gospel that drives it, right? Right. That's Paul's point when he says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it is the love of Christ that what? Compels me. Mm -hmm. It compels me to pray. Mm -hmm. It compels me to fight sin. It compels me to commune with God. Mm -hmm. Is what? The gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all his grace. And the grace, you know, um, as a kid, what I learned, I remember the song that I learned it with. Uh, it talked about mercy, grace, and justice. And justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is not getting what you deserve, plus getting something that you don't deserve. Yeah. And when I ref- and the grace part is what I really wanted to kind of transition to. So I was yeah. like, yeah, go ahead and define it because now we can kind of go into the grace part. Um, because after that, have you give the gospel. There you so go. the grace part is, uh, you know, we've talked about that before. We've talked about faith before. Um, but grace, you know, seeing our sin and seeing the, you know, um, the, you know, the way that we should be, uh, praying, uh, you know, uh, confessing and all those things. Once we get that grace, you know, what is really, what does that look like? And, and what, how would we understand the grace, you know, the grace that God has given biblically for that? And you just mentioned that, you know, is the, is God's kindness, you know, that leads us to that repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that grace biblically look like when we look at the grace that God has given us for sin? Yeah. You mean for not uh, say it again, that, that last part threw me off the grace of God for sin. Well, you mean, mean not giving us the penalty of our sin? Correct. Okay, all right, yeah. just wanted to make sure I was understanding. He's given, he's given us grace, grace because is, we need it because yes, of our sin. Yes, got yeah. it. Okay, um, so basically the, 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 the truth about grace is that it is such a grand uh, uh, truth in its scope that it's, it's even hard to put your hands around it mm-hmm. fully, right? Yeah. No definition actually does it real justice mm-hmm. because it is it is such a gift of God that you cannot fully uh, comprehensively fully understand it because it's beyond us mm-hmm. right so but the idea that's often driven when we see the word grace or when we see the uh, ramifications of it um, is this it's unmerited favor from God mm-hmm. right meaning it's unearned it is it is literally God giving us kindness, to those who deserve judgment, 
That's that's the idea. Mm-hmm. The, the anachron there's an anachron uh, that was famous for years, early you know, back in the um, 17, 1800s or whatnot, and it was it was taking the term grace and saying God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm. That was that was how they kind of understood the because it comes obviously ultimately through Christ. Right. But really, what drives it is is this reality that we deserve judgment, but God in turn gives us favor. He gives us kindness. Mm-hmm. He gives us what we what we need, mm-hmm. right? Which is which is uh, his love versus giving us what we ultimately deserve, but don't really need in the sense of it'll annihilate us, and that's his wrath, mm-hmm. right? And so, so that's what grace is. And when the other thing that's interesting about grace and mercy are two sides to the same coin, so it's hard to differentiate them, but they are different and distinct. Mercy speaks more about, and this is, this is important, but often not understood. Mercy speaks more about the, um, the seeing of the need. So it has, it has to do with your, um, it's more than emotion, but it's, it's very emotional. It speaks more of pity and compassion. Mm-hmm. When you look upon a homeless or, or a beggar or a hurt person, we're looking at Ukraine and we're seeing all those sights and, and our hearts are just going, oh, that is awful, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of mercy and pity and compassion, right? So God has mercy on us in this. He sees us in our need, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to recognize our need because we deserve judgment. He ought to look over our need. Right. But in mercy, he sees it, mm-hmm. right? And he's moved with compassion, mm-hmm. meaning he doesn't keep moving by. He sees us in our need, and he's moved in compassion, and in so doing, he withholds his wrath. Okay, that's mercy, right? Because he knows what's coming if he doesn't withhold his wrath. Mm-hmm. That's mercy. But that's not enough, right? Because now he needs to meet our need. He mm-hmm. just held back his wrath, mm-hmm. but we're still stuck in our sinful state. Right. And that's where grace comes in. Mm-hmm. So mercy sees the need, grace meets the need. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of the two sides, mm-hmm. right? It takes mercy to see it, it takes grace to meet it, mm-hmm. and God brings both. Mm-hmm. So mercy tends to be more withholding of what we ultimately deserve. But it's more than that. It's also seeing the need we have, seeing our sin, seeing our desperate, Mm -hmm. destitute place, seeing us naked and bare in our sin. And then grace comes in behind that mercy and actually meets the need, obviously through the death, life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was what I'm hearing <clears throat> exactly what that song was kind of explaining. I don't remember who, who or what sang the song because it could have been an animal that sang yeah. the song, but, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, the wrath is being withheld. That's the mercy, Yes. but the, um, the forgiveness and the, um, what's the other term I'm looking for? Not just forgiveness, but the, the love, uh, the love yes. and, uh, kindness. Yeah. Yes. What, <clears throat> um, the, the, the forgiveness, I would yeah. say that would be the big one. It's yeah. like the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the reconciliation. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. The yeah. reconciliation is given to us. Yeah. And that is why we're able to see his face, yeah. you know, when he returns. So, yeah. So um, it's that reality of, of that, but it's also that it's mercy carries that idea of seeing the need mm-hmm. and that's, and, and God, God, it talks about, in the King James, this bowels of mercy, because the word mercy often is is translated into a word of of 
of bowel movement, meaning the guts move. Mm-hmm. Like when you're, you know, you, you're, you're, you feel that cry coming because your guts are turning inside out because you're so emotionally distraught over what you're seeing. That's kind of what's driven, that what drives mercy is that emotional sense of need. I see it. God sees us in our need, mm-hmm. and then he meets us in our need by giving us grace. And so that's why they often go together. They're so closely aligned, it's hard to define them uh, separately from one another, but that hopefully helps clarify some things. And that's what the gospel is. It's driven by his mercy, Second or uh, Titus 3.5, right? Mm-hmm. By the mercy of God. And it's ultimately driven by his grace, uh, Titus 2.11-14, uh, and that's what it is. So mercy uh, meets that need it changes us and grace does the same and it's a bless blessing yeah so um i guess the last part of that definition was really the gospel driven part yes um so the gospel would be obviously appropriate um we have a little bit of time well we have a lot of time left we we have as much time as we want the podcast to be. How about that? There you go, man. <laughs> but um, I wanted to kind of talk through that, not necessarily like giving the gospel like yeah. we usually do, because yep. if people are paying attention, we have been <laughs> throughout the, the whole thing. We've talked yeah. about sin, yes, and uh, then the uh, the grace of God and um, the holiness of God. Obviously, is where it's, uh, it starts with God. You know, the gospel starts with God. Um, but kind of walk us through kind of that gospel driven part in the light of, you know, one that would present the gospel to help people understand mm-hmm. uh, the gospel in its 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 weight. Yeah. Well, everything in all of life, if we understand the good news, right, mm-hmm. that's what the gospel is, the proclaiming of the good news of God. All of life is driven by the gospel. Everything is. Everything's tethered to it. Without the gospel, we have no hope. Without the gospel, we have no help. Without the gospel, we have no purpose in life. Everything is taken away. And the reason for that is because God is uh, the great creator and sustainer of all that is. He is He is the one true God of this earth. All that we see and all that we have in creation was created by him and for him. And so all that there is was created for his glory. He created it in six days so that it might worship and serve him. And he created us as mankind as the pinnacle of his creation. And he placed us at the top. We were talking about this even on the drive over here to church tonight about, you know, my son is into this animals and who are on the food chain. And he keeps like saber tooth tiger and, you know, <laughs> sharks. And so he got it on. This is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. funny. And it's like, no, the man, man is on the top of the food chain. Right. And, and why? Because he created us last. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, and he told us to have dominion and he put the fear, you know, in, in us, especially you see a fear of, of mankind in the animals, especially in Genesis uh, seven and eight. And so you see that reality and we understand that. And so we were created to have dominion over the earth, to guard the earth, keep the earth and use the earth to bring God glory mm-hmm. and ultimately our very lives. Right. We were created to serve him. And the part that's often missed in that is that God created us not as automatons, robots, or even uh, uh, slaves in the uh, American European sense, where we're just we're just minions that do His bidding. Mm-hmm. No, He didn't make us that way. Mm-hmm. We are servants and are slaves in the sense of that He created us to serve Him. But that serving of Him is our greatest enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It was it's our greatest joy to know God. 
because that's how he created us. He created us that we might enjoy him. He's the greatest there is. He's the definition of greatness, of goodness, of love. He's not just those things. He's the essence of all those things. He is the definition of all those things. So if we can know him, we know love. If we know him, we know goodness. If we know him, we know joy. We experience it. And that's why he created us. He doesn't need us. God didn't create anything or anyone because he was lonely and needed help. Not at all. He did it because he's so loving and he's so gracious. And he says, watch this. I'm going to create this entire planet, this entire world and all these people so that they can enjoy me. So they can enjoy me. So the whole point was good and gracious and loving from God. And that was good. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They walked with God in the cool of the, of the garden. They enjoyed him. They, they had all of creation at their disposal to enjoy and serve the Lord with. And yet something happened. And that something is sin. Mm-hmm. So they had everything except for the one stinking tree in the middle of the garden that they were told, do not mess with it, do not eat it, do not touch it, because when you do, you will surely die. Mm-hmm. Well, we know what happened. They did. They did. And why did they do that? I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you the core to what they did and why they did it. At the end of the day, they were discontent with what God had given them. Now, just again, the S in sin stands for stupid. That's crazy. They had everything. Everything. They, yeah. And, and including a daily, constant walk with God Almighty. Like a for real walk. Like a for real walk, a a for real talk, everything. That's crazy. They had everything at their disposal, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what God tells David in 2 Samuel. He's like, you had everything. And and God says, and if you wanted more, I would have given it to you, Mm. right? Because at the core of our sin is a number of core sins. At the core of of our sin nature is a number of core rebellious thoughts, attitudes, and desires. And one of them is discontentment. It's at the core. And we don't like what God has given us. We don't like the situation in life that God has make us, made us. We don't like the color of our skin. We don't like the family. We don't like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's all discontentment with God. At the end of the day, God's the one who made I don't like my gender. What is that? That's discontentment with God. Mm-hmm. You're saying you don't like the way God made you. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Are, mm-hmm. you, are, are you that ludicrous? Yeah. Does God do anything that's not good? Mm-hmm. Right. And so you can see what's at the core of so much of our sin our anger, our homosexuality, our transgenderism, all these issues all go back to this discontentment with God, which is obviously really bad. And well, that's what we see in the garden. They were ultimately discontent. And they said, I'm going to do it our way. We're going to follow the evil one, Satan. He, he threw us out a, bo- a bone. He gave us a plan. And he said, if we just did this, we'd, be, we'd actually be like God. We don't, we're not content with just being like us. We want to be like God. We want to see as he sees. We want to know as he knows. And they did. And they, in some ways, they did see as he sees and know as he knows, because now they know evil. Now they know sin. Now they know death. Mm. And they brought that upon all mankind when they sinned against God. So, again, the promise of God, if you do this, you will die. That's what happened. The moment they rebelled, they started dying. And they were separated from God. They started dying physically. They ultimately did die physically. They were pulled out of the garden. Separation, separation, separation. They were separated from one another. They were separated from creation. They were separated from God. They were separated from the garden. That's what death is in the Bible, separation. And then eventually, eventually they were separated from their spirit. That's physical death. And it's sad, and that's what God said would happen. And in Romans 5, it says, through the, death of, or through the sin of Adam, all men die because all sin. And that's our problem. 
We are all born, as David says in Psalm 51, we're all born with that sin desire, that sin nature. From birth, we have that desire to rebel against God, and that's why we sin. We don't sin, right? We're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, mm. meaning it's our nature that drives our actions, not the other way around. My actions don't change my nature. You can't change my nature. This is who I am. Nature can't be changed right. by me, right? It can only be changed outside of me. Only God can change my nature, mm-hmm. and that's what regeneration does. But left unto myself, I will always be this way unless God changes me, and that's what Jeremiah 13 says. Can a leopard change his spots or an Ethiopian change his skin? Not at all, but God can, mm-hmm. and that's what the gospel does, and that's the, ju- the beauty of the gospel. God doesn't leave us in that, in that sinful enslaved, judgmental state by which the wrath of God is hovering over all mankind, John three thirty six, But God comes down and he sends his one and only son who is perfectly holy and righteous and good in all that he does, and he lives perfectly upon the earth, proving that he is the son of God and fulfilling the will of God where the first Adam, Adam and Eve, failed. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, comes, and he does all that God has called him to do. He takes dominion. He lives perfectly on the, on the earth. He fulfills the law of God, and then he dies as, as the Son of God so that that atonement, his death, would be the payment for the sins of all who will believe. And that's what he does, and that's our hope, and that's the gospel. That's the great hope of the gospel is that, that you're a sinner under the judgment of God, but God in his mercy saw us in our need and brought grace through his son. His son met the need. His son paid the penalty. His son bore the judgment. God doesn't just sweep our sin away. He literally lays it upon Christ so that our sin is judged, and it's because our sin has already been judged, those of us who believe, that we don't have to worry about judgment. There is no fear of judgment. Because my sin's already been judged on Christ. That's the joy and the beauty of the gospel. And so then God brings his son, he kills his son, he offers his son as this sacrifice, and then he proves that his son's sacrifice is accepted. How? By raising him from the dead, by bringing him back to life, which is exactly what Jesus said he would do, which is exactly what God said he would do. And he did it, showing everyone, see, the sacrifice is complete. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it is complete, it is done. The veil was rent from top to bottom so that mankind could go in and have direct access to God because of what Christ had done, because of who Christ is. And that's why the gospel is clear, that God calls Acts 17, 30 to 31, he calls everyone upon the planet to repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone, because only there will there be forgiveness. And he will take all our sin away, place it upon Christ, and he will give us all the righteousness that Christ has becomes, uh, becomes ours. All of our sin becomes his. He bears it on the cross. God looks at us and says, justified, forgiven, no condemnation. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is amazingly wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, and it is only for those who repent and believe. Yeah. Otherwise, great. you sit in your sin, and you will pay for that sin mm-hmm. in hell for all eternity. And some people say, well, that's not fair. No, it is fair when you go back to what we said earlier, cosmic treason. Mm. And it's also fair because of this, right? Uh, I hate the word fair, but I get the, the argument of what people say. It's just. That's a better word. It's a mm-hmm. biblical word. It's just because we committed cosmic treason, and therefore we should have cosmic judgment. Mm-hmm. And that's what hell is. But it's even more just in this. 
we never stop sinning. Yeah. <laughs> we keep sinning. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why he keeps judging mm-hmm. for all eternity. Because our hearts don't change. This is what people think. They have this demented view of man. They think man is this good. Mm-hmm. They think once he goes to hell, he's going to realize and he's going to look at God and be like, oh, if I would have only believed. No, they're going to sit, all of mankind is going to sit in hell forever, shaking their fist at God in defiance. Mm. They, they, they will hate God forever, and God will rightfully pour out his wrath forever and ever and ever. There, I just thought of this phrase, there is no double jeopardy in the courts of God. So, None. So, you know, people will say, I can't get you know, get the same punishment or punishment for a sin. I already pay for that. No, you You're keep do sinning. it over and over. You just keep on again. sinning. Yeah. Yep. And we see that in the, in the, in the story that Jesus told of, of Lazarus and, and, and the beggar, right. Mm-hmm. And, and that guy doesn't change one bit and he's in hell mm. and we see his hard heart. We see his wicked heart, Still we see selfish. His self, selfish heart. <laughs> he hasn't changed a bit. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a valuable, massive lesson. Uh, people will not change. Because the only thing that brings change isn't even judgment. It's regeneration. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we use a term in, in, in street basketball. You, if you need to run it back, then go ahead and run it back and listen to it again. Uh, the sermon, especially from Sunday, um, when uh, uh, Pastor Matt hits us Paul Washer style. And then this podcast as well. Um, just, you know, the, 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 the rich jewels that are in there. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. I appreciate you all. Uh, you know, supporting and everything like that. Uh, but uh, as we are, are leaving, I just want to make sure that you all are, uh, <clears throat> you know, hitting the subscribe button. And I appreciate that. But as we are uh, closing out, I just want to say thank you for uh, the support that you all are giving us. And uh, listen to the end and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to thetruthtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at thetruthtalkspodcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church. All right, I did say listen to the end, right? Because, you know, maybe, maybe at the very end you get like a little story or something like that. So <laughs> Pastor Matt, during his sermon on the 27th, the one that was mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, he mentioned this story and he said he wasn't going to get into it about the black mamba uh, and how sin is that black mamba. We're not going to say, hey, let's come sleep with the black mamba. And let me be very, very clear. We are talking about the actual snake, and we're not talking about Kobe Bryant. We are talking about <laughs> the actual black mamba uh, snake. It could be a green mamba, but right, the right. black mamba is the one I'm more familiar with. So can you can you tell us this story? Because you know, inquiring minds want to know yeah, uh, so how, how this went down. One of the times I was in Africa, and uh, we were way out in the bush, and actually it was kind of, I was, I was on heightened alert already because we had crossed over this pretty large river. We had to we had to go across this really high uh, set of train track, and it was like a bridge, but there was no like sides to the bridge, just the train track rails mm. and the and the posts that go across, and you could see through them, mm. right? I mean, you couldn't really fall through them unless you were 
really skinny, and so I don't have to worry about that. But mm-hmm. but I mean, you're looking down, and you're we were probably I don't know sixty foot in the air. I mean, it's it's a little disconcerting. Yeah, you so, lost me right there. Yeah, yeah. So so and you're having to walk across like on the on the planks, right? That's how you go across, unless mm-hmm. you could walk the rail, and I wasn't trying that. And so it was a long bridge. It was a it was a big river. And so the translators like, uh, Pastor Matt, just whatever you do, don't fall because there's crocodiles all over the what? <laughs> river. And I'm like, I'm like, great, thanks for telling me. We're about halfway out here. You right. know? So I was already on. I was already tense and. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get across for the next train comes. Right. Oh, and goodness. so, you know, you're like, you're not just, you can't just go one at a time. You got to move and there's, the and there's a bunch of people. So it's not just, there's a lot of people out there that are traveling because right. they follow the train track. Uh-huh. And so we were headed at way out in the bush out into this, uh, this village anyway. So we're going out and we eventually get to the village and, and obviously out in the bush and in that part of Africa, there's these massive trees that Africa is known for. These baobab trees are huge. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. They're just just so huge, so big. And it's like there's nothing around in this part of, I was in uh, uh, the northern uh, region of, of Malawi, I think. And yes, that's where we were at that time. Oh, no, we were next to the Mozambique border uh, in Malawi, right on the border is where we were. And um, so we're you know, I'm checking these trees out. I'm fascinated by them, you know, and I'm, I'm uh, messing with them. <laughs> and my translator comes over and he's like, hey, Pastor Matt, you need to be careful. You're, you're really close to some black mamba holes. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, you see those holes that you're stepping on? And he said, those are black mamba holes. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to mess with any black mambas, man. I mm-hmm. took off. I said, no, I'm going back on the path. Mm-hmm. And so I had strayed off the path. To look mm. at this 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 one massive baobab tree, it was huge, mm-hmm. and so he came over and was like, "Yeah, you you better be careful." And and uh, that that got my attention because mm. black mambas are no joke, man. It's 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 one of, if not the deadliest snake mm. in the world. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty scary. One of our missionaries who serves in southern part of of uh, of or in the northern part of South Africa just killed one in his yard actually was a green mamba uh, earlier this year so mm. they're uh yeah cobras he because he, they get cobras they get all kinds of different snakes uh pythons and cobras he's like they're nothing he's like we're not worried about them but when a mamba comes in that's no joke what is what is it with the mamba that makes it so the, like, po- the poison is so deadly and they're and they're very aggressive okay very aggressive okay they yeah. just don't like they're not afraid of anything really yeah okay I was uh, at Cobra a cus- and stuff that, you know, they'll like normal snakes will go away from you. Right, right. Right. And they won't try to bite you. You know, they'll, they'll, unless they're cornered. Right. Mamba. Yeah. They're, they're no joke. Yeah. I uh, actually was able to get a customer to uh, move forward with me because I walked outside and I was able to get the snake away from her there front you. porch. She had a, uh, she had had to, she had to call the, 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 uh, the pest control because there was a uh, a family of mouse of mice living yeah. uh, in there and we saw one of the mice you know run out and I said ma'am that's a mouse like, yeah. they're, and they're coming from this area yeah. and then we saw the snake it's like oh well the snake is here because yeah, the food is here you always have snakes when you have mice right so I went and I you know chased yeah. it away and I built trust with her instantly. So she's like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get this from you. Right. <laughs> I'm like, well, good, yeah. <laughs> at least. But uh, that snake, it was kind of easy because I just kind of, you know, I got a broom and I was like, you know, yeah. just, just get away. And it, and, it, and it ran away. So she was just felt so relieved. <laughs> but most of the time, it's the snakes that people do. But a black mamba? 
Yeah, well, yeah. we're out there in the bush too. I mean, yeah. we're walking through weeds and little yeah. tiny. You're in their and, territory. Yeah, 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 and I'm obviously we're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you know, I mean, even driving, we had to drive for hours to get to the river to cross the river, and then walk a long ways to get to the village. And <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty pretty wild. Yeah, all of that for the gospel, huh? Amen. They needed the gospel and they heard the gospel. Praise the Lord. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. I just wanted y'all to hear that story because I needed to hear it too. So praise the Lord. Thank you all. Take care.